0: Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I started out looking at every Prime Minister in Canadian history, and we're right in the middle of every opposition leader who never became Prime Minister, but we took a break from that, because an election was called. So right now I'm doing 36 election episodes in a row, to coincide with our 36-day election period. If you want to support the podcast, you can, for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every Wednesday and Saturday. Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. And Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday. I do all of these full time. The writing, the research, everything. I do it every day, all day. And it's a lot of work. So any dollars you give help keep it all going. And I'll make sure to thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. There have been several elections that have remade Canada, creating lasting ramifications that would be felt for decades. I'm not talking about Liberals defeating Conservatives or vice versa, but elections that created a core change to the makeup of the nation's politics. It happened in 1896, It happened in 1917, and it would happen in 1926, and, possibly most significant of all, it would happen in 1993. For the majority of the 20th century, Canadian politics fell into two scenarios. Either the Liberals ruled with the Conservatives in opposition, or the Conservatives ruled with the Liberals in opposition. There were other parties, but they typically had little power except in a minority government. Since 1984, Canada had been led by two majority governments under the Progressive Conservatives and Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. The government of Mulroney was based on the Coalition of Socially Conservative Populists in Western Canada, Fiscal Conservatives in the Maritimes and Ontario, and Quebec Nationalists. This same coalition would aid Mulroney in his re-election in 1988, but after the election, everything began to collapse. Unemployment rose heavily, the economy was hit hard by a recession, and the deficit grew from $34.5 billion in 1984 to $40 billion in 1993. The debt had grown to $500 billion during that same time. In order to deal with this huge debt and deficit, Mulroney would bring in the Goods and Services Tax in 1991, known today as GST. The creation of GST was extremely unpopular among Canadians, and coupled with the failure of the Meach Lake Accord in 1990 and the Charlottetown Accord in 1992, Mulrooney found his popularity at an unprecedented low. By 1991, his popularity was at 15% and he knew that he'd be facing defeat in the next election. Rather than leave earlier to give a successor time to get ready, Mulrooney announced his resignation as Prime Minister in February 1993 with a June leadership election. In that election, Kim Campbell would emerge as the leader of the Progressive Conservatives, becoming Canada's first female Prime Minister in the process. Campbell proved to be very popular when she came in as Prime Minister, but the writing was on the wall. No matter what she did, change was coming. The coalition that Mulroney had was falling apart even by the 1988 election. The Reform Party of Canada would be organized in 1987 under founder Preston Manning, son of former Alberta Premier Ernest Manning. While the party only had one seat in the House of Commons, it was rapidly gaining support in the West, taking that support from the Progressive Conservatives, who had dominated there since the 1960s. The most significant change, though, was the creation of the Bloc Québécois in 1991. After the Meech Lake Accord collapsed, Lucien Bouchard, friend, and the Quebec lieutenant from Mulroney, left the party with several progressive conservative and liberal MPs to form the new party. Due to these defections, the party had ten seats in the House of Commons and was ready to become a major force in Quebec. The Liberals were no longer led by John Turner who had resigned in 1990. In the Leadership Convention, Jean Chrétien, who had been in politics since 1963, apart from a brief retirement in the late 1980s, was chosen as the new leader. Chrétien would prove to be the right person at the right time for the party. At the time, the Liberal Party was 32% in the polls and near bankruptcy. In order to get ready for the next election, Chrétien appointed Jean Pelletier, former mayor of Quebec City from 1977 to 1989, to rebuild the party. Due to the five-year mandate, an election had to be called in the fall of 1993. For Campbell, her personal popularity was quite high, and the party's popularity had gone up enough to be only a few points back from the Liberals. In late August, the Conservatives polled at 32%, compared to 36% for the Liberals. In terms of the view of the leader of each party, Campbell was a full 20 points ahead of Chrétien. In order to capitalize on this, she dissolved Parliament on September 8th and set the election date for October 25th. Overall, this election would be $300 million in terms of cost, or roughly $500 million today. The Liberals had been planning for their campaign for some time and had built up a large amount of money in order to battle the Progressive Conservatives. On September 19th, the Liberals released the Red Book, which was their entire platform, giving a detailed account of what a Liberal government would do if it came to power. The platform included $1 billion to rebuild aging roads, bridges, and sewers. The platform had been created over the course of several years. The Liberals would also spend $10 million on 11 ads that reintroduced Chrétien to Canadians, especially young voters, and to demonstrate his leadership qualities. Campbell would attack the platform, stating, quote, I think Canadians are looking for a government that is better, not bigger. End quote. Days after the Red Book was released, the Progressive Conservatives released the taxpayers' agenda. By the second week of the election, polls showed that a minority government was likely, with the Conservatives now at 36% and the Liberals at 33% and the Reform Party at 11%. When asked why he was running, Chrétien would state, quote, There are not enough people in Canada, in my judgment, who try to keep Canada as a whole rather than thinking of Canada as only a grouping of different regions. I want to employ these concepts. End quote. The Bloc Quebecois would campaign on the promise of representing the interests of Quebec at the federal level, only running candidates in Quebec while endorsing Quebec sovereignty. In the West and Ontario, the Reform Party had built up a grassroots network and campaigned on creating a democratically elected and regionally equal Senate, as well as an appeal for smaller government, lower taxes, support of free trade, opposition to the GST and other social conservative policies that would be popular in portions of Western Canada. At the time, the Reform Party had little in the way of money or resources. This would result in party members flying economy, staying in inexpensive hotels, and relying on pre-packaged lunches. This actually had the effect of gaining them support among many money-conscious conservatives. Manning would attack the conservatives heavily, hoping to bring their voters over to his party. At one point on the campaign trail, he would state, quote, If you have a weatherman who predicts sunny skies tomorrow for nine years in a row, and all that ever came is rain, hail, sleet, and snow, would you not be considering replacing him? End quote. The Progressive Conservatives would have current Toronto Mayor John Tory as its campaign manager. The campaign was the best funded of all the parties, but that did not save it from several problems internally. The party would use the money heavily in advertising, running 35 of the 57 ads run by all four parties. And the first 13 ads focused on Campbell to make her more well-known to Canadians. The next set of ads focused on attacking Chrétien and his role as a Liberal cabinet minister in the 1960s, 1970s, and 1980s. More on those later. The party would also run the most high-tech election campaign to that point in Canadian history. Along the campaign trail, a satellite dish would be used to broadcast the Conservative message without it going through reporters and the media, and it would be reported, quote, the satellite will go everywhere with Campbell and can be set up in a cornfield or on a hotel roof, end quote. One progressive conservative strategist would add, quote, it will make sure the campaign is not remote from the pulse of the nation, that she is relating to people everywhere, end quote. Asked why she was running, Campbell answered, quote, I'm running because I have a very clear sense of where I think we need to go as a country. I believe I lead the only party that has a realistic approach to meeting the challenges of the 1990s, End quote. One issue was that the party did not get literature distributed to the local campaigns, forcing candidates to print their own material, which then caused an issue of a non-unified message from the party. One of the first problems arose right at the start of the campaign for the conservatives as well. When asked about unemployment, Campbell said that it would take years to bring unemployment down, likely by the turn of the century. In reality, she was right. It would be a long process. But that frank honesty was not something voters liked on the campaign trail.
1: Realistically, how long do you think they'll have to wait before the unemployment rate is below
2: 10%? Well, when you, uh, the, the question was how long Canadians would have to wait before the unemployment rate is below 10%. One of the frustrating things we're going through in the 1990s is that we have what is sometimes been referred to as a jobless recovery. We have structural unemployment. That reflects more than simply the ups and downs of the general economy in terms of demand for example and reflects the fact that the economy itself is changing in its nature and that our labor force and our way of doing businesses has not business has not kept pace with that so at the meeting of the G7 countries for example I mean we shared our experiences of the industrialized countries facing this challenge of trying to move uh, the labor force into conjunction with new economic circumstances So I think, realistically, all developed industrialized countries are expecting uh, what I would consider to be an unacceptable level of unemployment for the next two, three, or four years. But what we can do as a country, and Canada, you know, we're a very huge country. We have some disadvantages in the sense of being a small population spread over a huge country. But in other ways, we have the capacity to respond to these new challenges. We have a parliamentary system of government that is able to act with real uh, firmness and direction. I think of the American president, and he has all of the, the prestige and, and power of the presidency, but he doesn't have the ability to deliver his policies in Congress. It's very frustrating for him. We're a small enough country where we're able to articulate a sense of national vision, uh, where we can work together, where the levels of government that, that share responsibility for areas of jurisdiction can work cooperatively together. And I think that if we tap the resources that we have in this country of talent, of standard of living... possibility of 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 education and all the things that that are important for for uh, for success and you and tap that as well as our capacity to govern with real effect when we use the political instruments uh, well then I think that we can adjust to the changing world economy in a way that will get that unemployment rate down and I would like to see certainly uh, you know by the turn of the century a country where unemployment is way down you know and uh, and where uh, we're paying down our national debt And there's a whole new vision of the future opening up for Canadians. But it requires us to use the resources that we have. And the first thing that we have to do is recognize what extraordinary resources we have as a country to respond to the challenges that all other industrialized countries are facing.
0: Liberals would go on this, criticizing Campbell for stating unemployment would remain high for the foreseeable future. Another issue came up when Campbell was answering reporter questions on the 16th day of the campaign. She would state, regarding social reforms, Quote, I think that the election campaign is the worst possible time to have such dialogue on social programs. End quote. She then added, quote, Because I think it takes longer than 47 days to tackle an issue that's that serious. The issues are too complex to try to generate some kind of blueprint in the 47 days available in an election campaign. End quote. Unfortunately, only the first part of the quote was used by media outlets. It would then be used to portray her as arrogant, causing a 10% slide in the polls in only a week. Campbell would respond days later, quote, What the hell have I been doing? I've been talking about serious issues the whole time. That's what politics is about. I'm sorry to be so intense, but this is really important. End quote. The party would campaign on job creation, deficit reduction, and improving the quality of life among Canadians. And the issue was that since 1984, when the party came to power, both unemployment and the deficit had risen heavily. The new Democratic Party was now led by a new person after the retirement of Ed Broadbent. Audrey McLaughlin came into the leadership role in 1989, becoming the first female leader of a political party with representation in the House of Commons of Canada. This created a unique situation in 1993, where two of the five major party leaders were women. The main issue of the campaign would be jobs, with 1.6 million Canadians out of work and thousands of others worried about losing their jobs. At the time, the unemployment rate was at 11.6%, down only 1% from its peak in 1982. By the time October rolled around, the Progressive Conservatives found themselves far behind the Liberals in the polls, and the realization was that they would not be reelected. When the debates began, there were no real moments that would become part of Canadian lore, shifting the election, as was seen in 1984 and 1988. In the French-language debate, the party leaders essentially joined together to attack the Bloc Québécois with a few pointed remarks at each other. Manning, who could not speak French, gave an opening statement and closing statement, but said nothing else in between. In the English-language debate, which again featured all five leaders, there were mostly small attacks at each other, with Campbell attacking Chrétien, Chrétien attacking Campbell, McLaughlin attacking Manning, Manning attacking Chrétien, and Bouchard attacking Campbell.
3: They started by promising a change from last night's French debate. In my
4: judgment, the leaders spent too long and too much time uh, attacking each other, and not enough time attacking the problems that are of concern to you.
3: More talk about the issues,
2: less bickering. Tonight, I won't be attacking the people on this stage with me, but I will be telling you about their policies and why I think they fail to reflect the real concerns of Canadians.
3: But moments later, the fight was on. on The early target was Jean Chrétien. For me, this election is about jobs. When the Liberal leader outlined his job creation plans, NDP leader Audrey McLaughlin jumped in. Charging free trade agreements are killing jobs and Chrétien could have killed free trade.
5: How can you say you have a jobs plan that will create work on the one hand and refuse when you had the chance in the House of Commons, I might add, to defeat NAFTA? Your
6: party stayed home.
1: You're completely unrealistic, Madame McLaughlin, when you want to build a wall around Canada. Nobody are, wants are, to build a wall are around Canada. The biggest trading nation in the
3: world. Bloc Le Québécois leader Lucien Bouchard and reform leader Preston Manning both challenged Catien's pledge to renegotiate NAFTA. And if you try to
1: open up the, the treaty, you can lose everything.
4: Are you going to propose to renegotiate the Canada-U.S. trade agreement? It's okay. not
1: a renegotiation, Mr. Manning. The Americans have agreed in the treaty to sit down with Canada to give us a definition and but to... But they are not going to renegotiate?
2: that I
3: Conservative, Conservative leader Kim achtas, Campbell then weighed Ed in on Chrétien's proposals for reducing the federal deficit. Well,
2: the problem with your plan, Mr. Chrétien, is that it's going to uh, lead to higher taxes. It's guaranteed to erode our ability to pay for social programs. I you don't have a You don't even yeah. recognize yeah. that there's yeah. a problem. Mr. Manning, you have Can, can I ask you
1: a question you without trusting? you For me, it's unbelievable what the Prime Minister is telling us tonight.
3: When Chrétien shot back, Campbell quickly forgot her promise to avoid getting personal. You're
2: the laughing stock because you know that it's a deficit of $8 billion by 87, by 97, 98. You know that.
0: Two weeks before the election, the Liberals had a 15-point lead over the Conservatives sitting at 37%, while the Conservatives were at 22%. Since September 20th, the Conservatives had seen a staggering 13% drop in the polls, and as the Conservatives fell, the reform began to rise to take its place. Campbell would state of the poll numbers, quote, It's a tough campaign, but I want to tell you that we are firmly in second place, and our members show us gaining, end quote. While the Reform Party grew in popularity in the election, it also faced increased scrutiny, and for some candidates, that was bad news. John Beck was kicked out as a candidate when it came to light that he had made remarks that were sexist, anti immigrant, and racist. One such comment was If an immigrant comes in and is making $150,000 a year, then he is taking jobs away from genteel people, white people. Manning would say, The statements he was making are completely in conflict with the reform policies. Before the election, the party also expelled a number of white supremacists, and in another incident during the campaign, Hugh Romola, a reform candidate, told another member of the reform party to hit his female political opponent to shut her up. Rather than apologize, Romola stated, It was clearly done in jest, clear to everyone but Ms. Giroux and her feminazis. In the hopes of preventing a liberal majority, John Tory launched a series of attack ads against Chrétien. The most famous of these would become known as the Face ad, which today is seen as one of the worst, if not the worst, political ad in Canadian history. The ad featured images of Chrétien's face, which is partly deformed due to Bell's palsy, with the words, I would be very embarrassed if he became Prime Minister of Canada. The creators of the ad stated that it was meant to refer to the policies and ethics of Chrétien, but it was widely seen as attacking his appearance. The ad created a massive backlash across the board, including from many within the Progressive Conservative Party itself, and Campbell had the ad removed from the air within 24 hours. For Christian, it was a gift. He would speak on how he was teased about it as a boy, stating, When I was a kid, people were laughing at me, but I accepted that because God gave me other qualities and I'm grateful. Campbell would say after the ad was pulled, I've now been able to see one of the versions of the advertisements and I think the tone is inconsistent with the message that I've been trying to deliver. I'm looking at it, I think it is a bit offensive. I would apologize to Mr. Chrétien and anyone who found them offensive."
2: I've asked my staff to, uh, to, uh, to change the ads and to withdraw these ones as soon as it is technically possible to do so.
5: Kim Campbell tried to ride the storm, but it got too rough. Is this a prime minister? This is what set it off, a new set of television ads that began last night. The script was aggressive, but the real weapon was the pictures, some very unflattering shots of Jean Chrétien.
2: I personally would be very embarrassed if he were to become the Prime Minister of Canada. Think twice. This morning, Campbell said she hadn't seen the ads. That my understanding is that the pictures are very much like the picture on the cover of Maclean's magazine this week.
5: But Chrétien had seen them. They tried to make fun
1: of the way I look. God gave me a physical defect. And I've accepted that since I'm a kid.
5: It wasn't just liberals who were offended. Some conservatives were too. I would uh, characterize it as an act of desperation. I In Fredericton, Tory MP Bud Bird disassociated himself from his party's ads. Okay, but if that
1: is what we have to do to win an election, that's going far too far. It's free for all Friday, which means we can talk about anything you want, but everybody seems to want to talk about the new conservative campaign ads.
5: And in Toronto, radio hotline shows were swamped with angry callers. I thought
1: it's one of the most insidious uses of pictures I've ever seen in my life. It was just pathetic.
5: And this call from a woman who said she suffers from Bell's palsy, the same disease that Chrétien had as a child.
2: For the PCs to use as, to try and gain ground, um, I'm now without a doubt not voting for them. Because I know what it's like to have a facial disfigurement And um, it's very embarrassing.
5: Still, the Conservatives' campaign co-chair continued to defend the ads, pointing to newspaper photos of Chrétien that he said were just as unflattering.
2: No, I think the ads will stay on because uh, they have a point to make and they are not trying to make fun of anybody. Far from making fun of anybody, they're trying to ask a very serious question.
5: But the storm continued to brew. Another sample from Vancouver this afternoon.
4: That If I lived to be 100, I would never vote for a Tory again. I think this is utterly despicable to attack a person on a physical infirmity which none of us can help.
5: And a few more Tory MPs were angry too.
4: Whoever is responsible for these ads uh, should either submit their resignation or be given their walking papers today.
2: When I first saw it, I felt it was totally inappropriate and uh, in poor taste, and I wanted to apologize to Mr. Cretien.
5: And late this afternoon, after seeing the ad and reviewing her options with senior advisors, Kim Campbell announced she was pulling the ads. I would apologize to Mr. Cretien, to anyone who found them offensive. And strategist John Tory said they hadn't meant to focus on any physical deformity, but they got the message that people found the ads offensive.
2: You can't argue with people when they sing Mr. Cratchin on some of these issues that we believe are fundamentally important.
5: The Tories ran these ads because they knew that negative and sometimes even very negative ads can work. But they also knew they're dangerous. And they found out just how dangerous today. Wendy Mesley, CBC News, Toronto.
0: Campbell would then begin to attack Bouchard, who threatened to rob the Conservatives of the vital support they needed in Quebec. She would say, quote, His position is one of fundamental dishonesty towards the people of Quebec. He will be in Ottawa not to protect Quebec's interests, or create jobs, as he says, but to make sure things don't work so he can achieve his separatist goal, quote. One week before the election, CBC hosted a town hall that featured all the leaders of the parties answering questions from Canadians what turned out to be kind of a bad idea. The audience was described as a buzzsaw of anger that tore into the leaders continuously. In one rare occurrence, Pierre Trudeau came out of retirement to speak on an election matter warning against electing the Bloc Quebecois. He would state, quote, If you weaken the government of Canada, which Bouchard intends doing, you do no favour to Canadians. You do a favour to those who believe in separation. End quote. Three days before the election, all signs pointed to a liberal majority government, while the Conservatives had fallen to 17% to be in line with the Reform Party for second place. Some of them are even nice to oh, What do you the mean some warm. of them are not nice?
2: Don't, I'm well, so surprised. Only, well, <laughs> I have at least four friends out there.
4: From Madonna to Pia Zadora in six cruel weeks. The only difference between the Campbell campaign and the retreat from Moscow was that Napoleon wasn't required on the way back to drop in on much music and conceptualize the fiasco with Ziggy. Thank
5: you very much.
4: In her campaign... To the Before the anti-Cretchen ads, the much heralded new politics consisted of extending the known boundaries of ineptitude. The Cretchen ads were certainly new. They mingled bad taste, physical mockery, and a stench of desperation in a profoundly original manner.
6: Think twice.
4: The campaign of Audrey McLaughlin was a melancholy spectacle, but it did have a certain desperate charm about it. The vaporization of the NDP as a national party springs from many gloomy causes, but chiefly it's the demolition work of Preston Manning. Preston is harvesting all the protest this election. The later NDP ads are embarrassing. McLaughlin pitches herself as a conscience for hire and irony. They look like armbands for some right-wing fringe group.
1: The magic of the natural law party.
4: Doug Henning ads were the campaign's gold. Dr. Henning is the vice swami or the guru, or is it the thigh master who is in charge of the natural law party? Dr. Henning can make elephants disappear. As a political skill, this is of limited practicality. We do not have many elephants in Canada, certainly not so many as to thrust elephant relocation, never mind outright displacement to the top of Canada's social agenda. Reflecting on this, I incline inclined to the thought that Dr. Henning is campaigning on the wrong continent, conceivably on the wrong planet. The Liberal campaign was less than wizardry and more than good luck. It's difficult to tell whom to credit more for Gretchen's remarkably smooth ride, his own strategists or the Edsel engineers of Tim Campbell. The Liberals had the basic good sense to pick jobs instead of the deficit as their theme, and they deserved the political equivalent of an Oscar for the best use of a visual prop, the Little Red Book. In a multi-party race, holding your own is 90% of the game and with Preston Manning playing pac band to traditional Tory support, the Liberals could almost win by standing still. The Liberal strategy might be described as an aggressive siege.
0: In the October 25, 1993 election, the Liberals would gain 96 seats to finish with 177, more than enough than was needed to create a majority government. This was the best showing for the Liberal Party since 1949, when it won 191 seats under Louis Saint Laurent. The Liberals were also the only party to win seats in every province. One of the biggest surprises was that the Bloc Québécois gained 44 seats to finish with 54, becoming the official opposition of Canada.
3: And what an opposition the Liberal MPs will be facing. In an incredible change, the official opposition in Canada will be a party devoted to Quebec sovereignty. And next to the Bloc Québécois, another regional bloc, the Reform Party, with all but one of its MPs elected in the West.
1: Just 12 hours after addressing supporters here in his hometown, Lucien Bouchard was back up on the same stage, once again reassuring the country. We'll play by the rules. We won't disrupt parliament i think that it's not possible to pave the road to sovereignty in raising hell i don't believe in that Uh, people in quebec would never never forgive the bloc members if they would resort to those tactics and he insists a quebec sovereignist can do it can represent the interests of all canadians jobs public spending uh, cleanup deficit control all this is um, a common preoccupation of Quebecers and Canadians. Last night, here was Bouchard sitting with his advisors, watching the results come in. While he planned what to say to Quebecers and the country, sovereignists elsewhere were savoring a triumph. In Montreal, Parti Québécois leader Jacques Parizeau. Two-thirds, he gloated. Two-thirds of all Quebec MPs say they want their own country. A sign, he said, of what's to come. Premier Robert Bourassa called that reaction legendary triumphalism. Sovereignists, he said, are reading too much into the bloc victory. Well, and I believe it's a protest vote, uh which is uh, comparable to the protest vote we had in Western Canada. But nobody doubts the success of this man has fundamentally changed Parliament. For him, Canada is two nations. He will use Parliament to argue that point. And the other nation, he said, has no choice but to listen. I will, uh, I will uh, try very hard. And I will never take a no for an answer. Never. never. So, Bouchard's prediction. That no that mammoth collision with the rest of the country. He even said that with so many economic problems, the whole constitutional question may not
0: come up again for months. The Reform Party would pick up the second most seats of the election to finish with fifty two, becoming the third party in the House of Commons. With the other two major parties, it was a difficult election to say the least. After the NDP had its best election showing in nineteen eighty eight, it would lose thirty five seats to fall to just nine in the House of Commons. Nothing, though, compares to the collapse of the Progressive Conservative Party. Many feel that Campbell was given a crashing plane from Mulroney and there was little she could do to prevent the collapse. But the scope of the collapse surprised everyone. The party would lose 154 seats, the worst loss not only in Canadian history, but in any country that uses the Westminster system. Campbell would lose her own seat and only two progressive conservatives would remain in the House of Commons, taking the party from the largest number of seats in Canadian history in 1984 to no longer having official status in Parliament in 1993. Only Jean Charest and Elsie Wayne remained. A total of 147 Conservative candidates failed to win 15% of the vote, losing their deposits and putting the entire party deeply in debt. This was only the third time that a sitting Prime Minister lost an election and their own seat. It had happened to Arthur Meehan in 1921 and 1926. Campbell would state, quote, Our day in the sun will come again. Many fine leaders, many fine parties have had setbacks. End quote.
1: Of course, the big losers last night were the Tories and the NDP. They not only lost unprecedented numbers of seats, both suffered the humiliation of losing official party status. More now on that, beginning with our chief political correspondent, Joe Schlesinger.
6: The day after the disaster, a brave face. Uh,
2: Lots of work to do, and I'm going back to Ottawa to roll up my sleeves and do it.
6: ...and the inevitable recrimination. The world knows who's responsible, and uh, it's the leader and those immediately around her who advise
4: during the course of an election campaign. They must bear the burden of responsibility.
6: But what happened to the Conservative Party is a little more complicated. True, Kim Campbell and her campaign team showed a talent for shooting themselves in the foot. Is this a prime minister? Does he understand that his plan to allow a deficit each year
1: would increase? the day the uh, Christian ads were broadcast the, the, whole, the whole writing the Anglophone title writing went from sympathy on the street to hostility so we, we've done some tremendous mistakes
6: but in a way the Campbell campaign people were only shooting off the toes. The party's footing had already been undermined during the nine years of Brian Mulroney by the ravages of recession and constitutional failures.
2: We must tonight as progressive conservatives...
6: But the causes of last night's Tory meltdown go even further back, right back to the foundations of the modern conservative party. George Drew, the Ontario Premier who became the party's federal leader, laid the foundation by building a conservative machine in Ontario that lasted for more than 40 years. John Diefenbaker's populism added the second ingredient of Tory success, a base in the West.
1: And Mulroney brought Quebec
6: into the mix by attracting Quebec nationalists with the promise of a new constitutional deal. Last night, all three legs collapsed. But that does not necessarily mean that conservatism in Canada is dead.
2: When we look at the popular vote tonight, we see that as many Canadians voted for the Progressive Conservative Party as voted for the Bloc Québécois or voted for the Reform Party.
6: Not quite, but close enough. The Tories who ended up with only two seats did get 300,000 more votes than the Bloc Québécois, which was rewarded with 54 seats. But the Conservatives pulled in 350,000 fewer votes than Reform, which got 52 seats.
0: With the Bloc Québécois now the official opposition, Chan would call for national reconciliation under his government, and he would say to Bouchard in a speech, quote, I hope we can work together. End quote. The Reform Party took the majority of seats in British Columbia and Alberta, while the Liberals took 98 of 99 seats in Ontario. That alone was enough to win the election for the party. And the party would take a scattering of seats in the West, including 12 in Manitoba along with every seat in Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, Newfoundland, and the Northwest Territories. In Quebec, the Bloc Québécois took 54 seats to the 19 won by the Liberals. This election would have long-standing impacts on Canada's political landscape. From this moment on, Canada had moved from essentially a two-party system with a third party that had no real hope of gaining power, to a five-party system in which the two main parties jockeyed for power as the other three parties took seats in key areas. Many consider this the start of the dominant power system in Canada, in which a single party continuously dominates election results over opposition groups or parties. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at the 1993 election. Tomorrow, we're looking at the 1997 election. If you like, you can email me at craig at You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at berdo 37 Again, if you like, you can support the podcast through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. And I'd like to say thank you to all of my wonderful patrons. And if I mispronounce any names, I do apologize. Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rois, Luke Guess, JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Parliamentary Review. Dynasties and Interludes, Wikipedia, Maclean's, and the Ottawa Citizen. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.